Folks, perhaps you'd join me and we'll read a a passage from Scripture together. Um, It's one that we're going to look at in a few moments. So it's just dropping back into our theme for this autumn, our studies in the life of Joseph. So Genesis 43 is the point that we've reached, and you'll find that on page 48 if you're using the Bible there in the pew. Genesis 43 on page 48. I should say we're going to do three chapters together today. Uh, So whenever I come back in a few minutes to to preach, it'd be great if you had this part of the Bible open with you and sort of track along while I speak, uh, and I'll be pointing to to parts of the text then. So Genesis 43, we're going to read the opening 14 verses there. Now the famine was still severe in the land, so when they had eaten all the grain they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go back and buy us a little more food. But Judah said to him, The man warned us solemnly, You will not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you'll send our brother along with us, we will go down and buy food for you. But if you'll not send him, we will not go down. Because the man said to us, You will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. Israel asked, Why did you bring this trouble on me? by telling the man you had another brother. They replied, the man questioned us closely about ourselves and our family. Is your father still living? He asked us, do you have another brother? We simply answered his questions. How were we to know that he would say, bring your brother down here? Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy along with me and we will go at once so that we and you and your children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you, I'll bear the blame before you all my life. As it is, if we had not delayed, we could have gone and returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be, then do this. Put some of the best products of the land in your bags and take them down to the man as a gift a little balm and a little honey, some spices and myrrh, some pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the amount of silver with you, for you must return the silver that was put back into the mouths of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also and go back to the man at once. And may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man so that he will let your other brother and Benjamin come back with you. As for me, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. This is the word of God. Folks, um, looking, and it feels to me like there are a few people here today who aren't normally with us. Uh, You're very welcome. Uh, Great to have you with us. Uh, We hope you'll feel very much at home. We're looking at the life of this Bible character, Joseph. Uh, We have been for a few weeks, and and we're going to be looking for a few more weeks yet. So as I said, chapters 43 to 45 of Genesis tell the story uh, that I'm going to be reflecting on uh, with you for a moment today. So please have that open before you. So the animals are suffering by now. They're little more than skin and bone just not enough feed for them to keep them. 
And it's not just the animals, it's uh, Jacob's sons and their families, probably 50, 60, maybe up to 70 of them, trying to share out what little uh, food and grain they were able to bring back from Egypt on their last visit. The tables are empty, and so are their stomachs. Something has to be done. They've got to get back to Egypt, and they've got to go soon. They'd been delayed for weeks, possibly even months. Judah says in verse 10 that they could have been up and down to Egypt twice. Uh, We said last time we looked at this that that journey was not a quick journey. So they've been delaying here for quite a while, and it's all down to Jacob's reluctance. Jacob doesn't want to send his sons back to Egypt. Eventually, after months of hesitating, uh, he realizes that for the good of the whole family, he's just going to have to bite the bullet and send his sons back. As we trace this part of the Joseph story, there's a, a sort of a theme that we could hold in our, in our minds. Joseph's reluctance to go to, or Jacob's reluctance to go to Joseph speaks or, or can speak, I think, of our reluctance to come to God. We're like Jacob. We're afraid. Sometimes we stay away from God for as long as we possibly can. I don't know if you can identify with that. You have a sense that God is, is there, but you don't want to go to him or near him. We try for as long as possible to get by without him. But all that time that we stay away, that we stay away from the living God, we, we starve. We're doing without what we need to live. He alone is the bread of life. So this story, if if it is a story of our reluctance to come to God, I think it's also a story of of his persistence in calling us, how he just doesn't give up, how he keeps inviting us back to him. Joseph's dealing with his brothers, I think here is a, a lovely picture of God's dealings with us, his grace. In the second half of chapter 43, we see a wonderful picture of God's hospitality. So uh, Jacob's sons, they they finally arrive back at Egypt. They've got twice the silver that they need, uh, once to buy new supplies, but also to pay back for the silver that was left in their, their sack last time. They're nervous. And understandably, as they present themselves again before this prime minister here in Egypt, But soon their nerves give way to pure fear because what he does is rather than meet with them there in the grain depot, he invites them into his house. And they're imagining the worst, I'm going to guess. They're imagining he's going to punish them uh, because of of that silver that was in their sacks the last time they they were in Egypt uh, on their return home. Is he going to accuse them of stealing? Uh, And in their desperation, they turn to the steward, one of the servants, who's looking after them. It's not what you think. They explain. We didn't steal the master's money. Look, we're returning it. And the steward says, verse 13, it's all right. Your God, the God of your father, has given you your treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. And then he brought Simeon out to them. They're surprised. There's a kindness here that they weren't expecting in Egypt. To their amazement, they realize, actually, maybe this is a genuine welcome into the home of this 
Egyptian aristocrat. Whenever he came in from his work, after he had received their gifts, he asked them how, how their family were. How's your dad? Is he still living? Is this the younger brother you told me about? You finally brought him here to Egypt? He seemed genuinely interested. And as soon as he'd heard that the, the father was well, and that this was indeed the youngest brother, he leaves the room in a hurry. I, I don't know, I, I'm going to guess, you'd, you'd imagine this guy's got urgent business on, he's, he's the prime minister of the country, he's been called away to some summit meeting. No. We're told in the text, verse 30, why he left the room. He was so deeply moved at the sight of his brother that he hurried out and he looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and he wept there. Joseph loved his brothers dearly. And they didn't know it. They had no idea. He, he prepares this incredible feast for them. Sometimes I don't read narratives very well. I, I read that and I don't think anything of it. These guys have been starving for months. Right? And you come to the world superpower, the most resourceful man on the planet, and he puts on a, a feast for you. It's going to be good. It's a good moment. And they notice a couple of things that are a bit strange at this feast. They, they're all grown men by now, so I'm going to guess it's quite hard to tell ten brothers apart by age. But somehow he seems to know their birth order. And he puts them all in birth order with their, you know, their name tags, like at a wedding. All their place cards are in that order. And then they notice another thing. They notice that the younger brother has had five times as much to eat. Now, I, again, I tried to enter into this imaginatively. If that happened, that I, you, picture your dinner table, right? I, I quite often serve out the food in our house. I'm just going to guess the response I would get if I put five times as much on one person's plate as another. Do, do, do you know what? I'm, it might not be a good moment. That's all I'm saying. So this, this moment of grace to this younger brother, Benjamin, we're told in the last line of the chapter that they feasted and drank freely with Joseph. It's a wonderful picture. These guys have been starving and now they're feasting. They've been welcomed in by uh, this man. It's a, it's a lovely picture in a way of, you know, these guys enjoying this hospitality. I, I don't know if there are many things richer in life actually than people invited in to share a meal together. I'm 46 years old. I just know that the best moments in life seem to be those moments. Sitting around the table, having a good, good meal. So here's uh, Jacob's 11 sons. They're enjoying this fabulous hospitality. The interesting thing is they don't know their host. They don't know the person who's laid this all on for them. And in a way, it's, a, it's an interesting picture of, of how we relate to God. I said that at the outset, and I'll maybe keep coming back to that. These chapters speak, I think, of how we relate to God. So many of us go through life receiving his goodness. We talked about that two or three weeks ago in our harvest celebration. Receiving his goodness, but we don't know the host. We don't know who it is who's, who's given us the, the food on our tables. 
Some people come a step closer and they come into to his home, into his house, if you like, into the family, but they still don't really know him. And some come a bit closer still. They maybe come to a table that he's laid on, and uh, Monty already pointed it out in, in one of the hymns we sang, that the bread and the wine, you know, it's possible even that we share communion, that we take bread and wine, but we don't fully know this host. We have no grasp of the love in his heart for us. Friends, I think if we could, if somehow it were possible for someone to reveal to us the depth of God's love for, for us, I don't mean the crowd now, I mean, I mean you and I mean me. If somehow we could see that, I think we'd be changed forever. I don't think we could live the same anymore. Whenever we looked at the, the Joseph narrative together a few weeks ago, we noticed that Joseph seems to be using this period with his brothers to test them. Uh, and we noticed then in chapter 42 that, that the first test was the placing of their money back in their bags. So we, we discovered, uh, as we looked at this this morning, they seem to have passed that test. They, they've come back to Egypt ready to repay uh, in case of any administrative error. They've acted with integrity and with courage. So let's, let's say they've passed test number one. There are a couple more tests in this, this passage here today, and I don't know if you noticed test number two. In this feast, when he gives Benjamin, the younger brother, a five times portion, that, that's a big moment. Uh, why did they do that? Was he, a, was he a wee fella and he looked like he needed the meal more than the others? No, in that culture, this is a way to demonstrate honor. So what, what Joseph has done is he's instructed his waiters, go and honor the youngest. Do it in a way that's very obvious and very visible for these older brothers to see. Now bear in mind, do you remember the very start of the story? These brothers were furious whenever Joseph had approached them with his dream, whenever they all lived at home together. This dream that although they were older than him, one day they would bow before him. They were furious about that. They, they couldn't cope with the idea that somebody younger than them would be honored before them. It almost feels like Joseph's recreating that moment, checking, are they any better able to respond to that kind of thing now? And they do, without any fuss. They just receive the hospitality. They receive the, the five times portion that Benjamin has. They've passed a second test. We read about the third test in chapter 44, so keep, keep skimming with me uh, as I outline very, very quickly the, the plot. Uh, after this strange uh, feast that they've had in the house of the prime minister, um, the, the brothers load up their donkeys and they set off for home. But Joseph is still at work here. He's still doing stuff to, to test them. So what he does this time is he asks for one of his men to plant his cup. It's, it's a very important cup to him. We'll see that in the text. He asks him to plant this cup in Benjamin's bag and he sends them away. And then immediately he sends guards after them to catch the thief red-handed. 
you know, again, I'm trying to picture what that looked like for the fellas. They're on the road. They're thinking, we're out of Egypt. We've got the food. It's all good. And then they look in the rearview mirror and the, the police car with the flashing lights. I don't know about you. See, see if I'm driving and I look in the rearview mirror and I see a police car. Even if I don't think I've done anything wrong, I'm like, flip me. It's the police. Do, do you know, there's a bit of that, I think, at this moment in the text. The guys have been trying their hardest to do the right thing, keep their nose clean, and look, there's, there's the guard coming back after them. What a catastrophe. And then they come and they search the bags. I think the guys are saying, yeah, look in our bags, because they're not worried, until the search goes right down through the brothers from oldest to youngest, and they reach into the Benjamin bag and pull out the gold cup. Disaster. We read verse 13. They tore their clothes, they loaded their donkeys, and they returned to the city. This is, this is the third test here. How are they going to respond to the third test? Are they the same men as before, or have they been changed? Well, we get to see a really dramatic reversal in their character here uh, in this latter half of the chapter. He accuses them of this theft, Joseph does, and they're speechless. They try and long to prove their innocence, but they know they can't really. Uh, the circumstances make it very difficult for them to prove their innocence. Of one accord, they all agree, we'll all stay behind to be slaves. But Joseph, you know, we talked about this a couple of times ago. He's, he's, pretty, he's pretty hard in these tests. He's ruthless. He goes after the thing that he knows is going to test them most. Verse 17, only the man who was found to have the cup will be my slave. The rest of you go back home to your father in peace. It's Benjamin. He's after. It's Benjamin. How are they going to treat their youngest brother? This is where we're asked to hold the story before us, not just this part of the story, but some of the earlier parts too. Judah gives a wonderful reply here. Twenty years ago, these fellas had sold a younger brother into slavery. They had lied to their dad, saying that their brother was dead, and they did not care whether that news would break his heart. Sold a brother into slavery and told the, the father that he was dead. They don't care about their brother or their father. Look at verse 30. Judah says on this occasion, if the boy is not with us when I go back up to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't here, he will die. Your servant will bring the gray hair of our father down to the grave in sorrow. He knows that this news would break his father's heart. 20 years ago, we didn't give us stuff. Now, he, he can't do it anymore. He can't be that kind of a man. Judah's speech here, it's not all hot air either. It's not all just good oratory. He, he, he offers to be the one who'll stay in Egypt, in Benjamin's place. Joseph's brothers have passed the third and the final test. They are different men. 
that sold their brother into slavery 20 years ago, now they rally to protect another brother. They'd broken their father's heart 20 years ago, now their father's heart is their biggest concern. They've changed utterly and entirely. Folks, how seriously do we take this idea that the life we live with God is supposed to change us? I sometimes wonder if we make far too little for ourselves of what it means to be a a Christian, to take the name of Jesus Christ. We, We say that we're saved. We say that we're going to heaven. But there's very little evidence of of this transformation, this reversal in us. We live on exactly as we do before. Our lives are not distinguishable from those of our neighbors, people who don't know Jesus at all. We're not like, uh, in this case, Joseph's brothers who are being transformed. Change is the first word Jesus called us to. Repent, he said when he started to preach. Turn around, change, because the kingdom of heaven has come. You're citizens of a new kingdom under a new king. Folks, we're coming towards the the end here. If we move into chapter 45, we said at the outset that this, this part of the story can be read as about our reluctance to come to God. And like Jacob and his sons, we're really, we are slow to, to come to the one who loves us, the one who can save us. When we come to chapter 45, we get a, a beautiful picture of what happens when we, we finally do uh, receive this grace of God. The chapter's about Joseph's reconciliation with his brothers. And, and it's full of parallels for that moment when a a person who's been far from God finally comes close. So he's finished testing his brothers. He's seen that they have changed. And Joseph now, finally, for for these uh, months, he's been hiding his identity from them. And he's decided the time's come. I'm going to reveal myself to my brothers. He sends everyone else from the room and through his, his weeping and his tears, he says very simply, I am Joseph. I don't know what that was like for the brothers. I am Joseph. He asks again about his father. The, the boys can't even speak. They can't speak. It's a mixture of shock and terror. I am Joseph. He finally reveals his true identity to them, and it changes everything. It's a foreshadowing, I think, of a a, a similar revelation that happened once uh, many centuries later on a Damascus road. Saul of Tarsus, heading down to that city, finds himself on his face on the ground with a blinding light shining all around him, and he hears a voice, and when he asks, Who are you? The voice says, I am Joseph. Am Jesus. And in that moment, Saul's changed. Changed entirely. 
Folks, this is where true conversion for any one of us begins. It begins when we begin to see for the first time who he is. I am Jesus. We see Jesus, the son of our creator God. We see Jesus, the savior who came into this world for us. We see Jesus who gives us his spirit and he says, right, I want to indwell you, live in you today. We finally see Jesus. I think these brothers are terrified when they they realize who this great man is because they've remembered how they've harmed him all those years ago. They, they They realize how much power he has at his disposal. And they're imagining, I think, that the worst is going to happen, that he's going to wreak revenge and punish them cruelly. It's not, not uncommon for people who finally see Jesus to be, to be afraid. Maybe we realize in a new way how terribly we've wronged him. how completely unworthy we are. Like Peter the Apostle, when he was first called, he he had to say to Jesus at one point, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. What does the Savior say? Whenever we come, whenever we finally see him, whenever he senses in us any, any humility, any craving for his mercy. He says the same as Joseph. Look at Joseph. What does he say to his brothers? Come close to me. He embraces us. He forgives us. He lets bygones be bygones. He takes our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. It's the most beautiful thing. It's wonderful what Joseph says to his brothers here in, in chapter 45. And I encourage you to try and read it sometime, uh, the whole of it, this heartwarming chapter. He says, Do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent you ahead of me. Joseph has this capacity to say, Yes, you did me wrong, but God has purposes even in that that are greater than you or I ever knew. He believes in the sovereignty of God. I wonder, folks, do we share that same conviction in our lives, those moments where it just isn't working, when we're in a dead-end job, or when our relationships seem extraordinarily difficult? Do we believe still in those moments in the sovereignty of God? that he's working his purposes. Do we believe that? There are some people here this morning who believe that God is a forgiving God, that his grace is on offer, but they have this way of hearing that news that says, yeah, that's for everyone else, but it's not for me. Everything you've ever heard this morning or any time in the past about God's grace, it seems to wash off you like water off a duck's back. You say to yourself, God will never have anything to do with me. He knows the stuff that I've managed to hide from 
from the crowd and, and even from the people closest to me. He, he knows what I'm really like, so, so his grace can't be for the likes of me. Look for a moment at verses 14 and 15. We read there that Joseph threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. We know that. He loves Benjamin, his closest and dearest brother. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. All of them. Reuben, he's the oldest brother. He's the one who should have protected Joseph all those years ago. What does he do? Welcomes him and embraces him. What about Simeon and Levi? These two, in a previous story in Genesis, that we were told that they wiped out a whole village. They're thugs. They're, are they the ones who planned to kill Joseph all those years ago? Come close. And he embraces them. Judah, it was his idea to send Joseph into slavery. There's an embrace for Judah. Was it Issachar who stripped him of his beautiful robe? Was it Zebulun who played his part in putting him into the pit? Well, there's an embrace for them too. Was it Gad and Asher who took the, the 20 pieces of silver from the Ishmaelite traders? Was it Dan and Naphtali who, who took his robe, dipped it in the blood, and then took it back to the father to show him? There's an embrace for them too. Folks, Paul could have been speaking for any one of us whenever he wrote in his letter to Timothy, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. If you're the worst of sinners, then you're in a really good place to meet with the living God. He loves sinners. He's a friend of sinners. He came to save sinners. No one is too bad for God. No one beyond the reach of his grace. Folks, we've looked at three whole chapters there today. Forgive me if it's taken a minute or two longer than it might have. Let me leave you with this. Joseph comes to his brothers and he says, I am Joseph. Come close. But Jesus Christ approaches every one of us and he says, I am Jesus. Come close.